The Action Network Podcast, named Best Betting Podcast or Radio Show by the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association, and the number one show for the invested sports fan. Winner, winner, chicken dinner! Four! You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. What's up, everybody, and welcome once again to the Action Network Podcast, the Golf Edition. I'm Jason Sobel from Golf Bet, and alongside with me, as usual now, now, uh, it wasn't usual last week, but now my full-time regular partner, Justin Ray of the 15th Club, the head of content there. And uh, we've got a little announcement to make before we go any further. Uh, Justin is in Austin, Texas, at his home right now, where it is 18 degrees outside, and you've been going in and out of losing power all day today, Monday. And so we're recording here on Monday evening. And if the power goes out, I I guess I'll just keep talking to myself. Yeah. I'm learning what the term rolling blackouts means. And from my history, that was usually like an aggressive college football weekend back in my, (laughs) you know, back in my early twenties, maybe Mm -hmm. a Vegas trip bachelor party. This is a different kind of less desirable rolling blackout where I guess the power grid isn't set up for the amount of demand that's being placed on it. Pretty much everyone in Texas, I guess their heat comes from electricity. So it's a big mess and I hope everyone's staying safe. Luckily I've had enough power to do some research on this week's tournament at, at, at Riviera. And hopefully, you know, it was a little crunch for time was a little off my schedule because I didn't have power till about noon today, but you know, we'll try to make, we'll try to make some good picks, but yeah, rolling blackouts and not the desirable kind. Yeah, I thought rolling blackouts were uh, when you get obliterated during the member guest and your foot slips off the brake of the golf cart. And right, you have yeah, that 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 I could I could deal with. But yeah, yeah, this is like lack of heat and power. So okay, so non-zero point, chance that we go dark here. Yeah, if at some point we lose you during the podcast, I'm just going to keep talking to you as if you're there, and you just kind of be quiet because Excellent. you won't be there. So uh, good, people good figure it out. I can't control what you do anyway. So have at it, bud. <laughs> Uh, before we get into Riviera this week, and I can't wait, I got I got my Riv shirt, I got my Riv hat on, so I'm I'm ready to go for uh, for Riviera. By the way, I always dress uh, appropriately for the podcast, which people are only listening to and can't watch, which is uh, makes a whole lot of sense. I can tell you, I'm wearing anything right now, and uh, you'd believe me. So uh, let's get into uh, what happened this weekend at Pebble Beach. Uh, a few takeaways from this: first of all, Daniel Berger was 107th in the world just about eight or nine months ago before the PGA Tour restarted in June, and now he is 13th in the world uh, after winning at Colonial, the first event of the restart, and then, of course, this past weekend at Pebble Beach. He looked fantastic. Um, A great question that I was asked today, and I want to get your opinion on, is what is Daniel Berger's ceiling? Because I have a somewhat definitive opinion on this, and I want to get your take on what you think his ceiling could be. That's a good question. I'd say 10 wins and maybe a major. Okay. Okay. You know, a good, really good. That's a great career. Of course. You know, that's a fantastic career. So, um, you know, that's, you know, beyond Stuart Appleby who had nine and no majors and like short of Fred couples somewhere Mm -hmm. between those two. He's a little bit overshadowed in in what's looked at as his peer group. You know, that I hear that term, the class of 2011 from high school, which is, you know, JT, Spieth, Xander, um, you know, a lot of really high caliber players. And I mean, this is a guy who could make some Ryder Cup teams and, mm-hmm. you know, contend in major championships. He's definitely got that type of game. Um, and we saw it this week at Pebble Beach coming down the stretch. You know, he's he's a really good ball striker. He's got a real well-rounded game. 
really like his demeanor in big moments. You know, it's kind of a bulldog. So, yeah, I'm wondering what you think the ceiling is. You, think, you say you've got a definitive answer here. Well, okay. So one of my biggest pet peeves, and this happened at maybe one or two of the places that you and I both used to work at, but a Monday morning analysis would come of whoever just won. And it's always, boy, I tell you what, if he plays the way he did this weekend, he's going to win a lot of tournaments. And it's like, well, yeah, but that's the whole point. He's not going to play the way he did during that victory every single week. I mean, if, if he did it, he'd be Tiger Woods. He'd win every it's week. It's really mean, hard to win golf tournaments. Of it's course. really, really hard. <laughs> so we have to look at a guy's baseline, not necessarily just his A-plus, like, uh, best game that he's got. I also think that what I've always thought that what separates the top tier of players from the next year is that the top tier can win any place, anytime, any week. Dustin Johnson, you put him on a 6,700 yard golf course where you barely have to take driver out of the bag and then put him on a 7,900 yard golf course. That's just a big ballpark where you're going to mash it. And Dustin Johnson is going to be the favorite on either one of those golf courses and has a really good chance to win on either one of those golf courses. I think what separates that top tier from the next year, and I put Daniel Berger in the next tier, no offense to him, but I just don't know that Daniel Berger, based on where he's won so far, TBC Southwind twice, Colonial, and now Pebble Beach, which is, of course, the shortest venue on the PGA Tour. I don't know that he can go to, say, a Torrey Pines playing 76, 7,700 yards, whatever it might be for the U.S. Open this year, and seriously contend without having his absolute best stuff. Uh, can he be up on the leaderboard? Sure. Can he beat all of these other players that hold a, an innate advantage in their length over him? I think that's going to be a little tough for him. And so I think that – and it comes down to, you know, when we talk about his ceiling, it comes down to sort of where we put him on that totem pole of elite players right now. That's, that's the one thing keeping me from saying, oh, Daniel Berger can be a top five player. He can be an absolute elite player in the top tier. I, I still think, yes, he's, he's very good. Let's not do the Monday morning quarterback thing where we go – I think he can win 12 majors and, you know, then just get too exaggerated and carried away. Yeah, no, I think that's a good, good analysis. I, I always dislike that kind of hyperbolic reaction too. you know, after, after the 2014 PGA, Rory McIlroy is going to win 11 majors. Like, yeah, two, three guys in the history of the sport have done that. Like he might, he's really good. He's at a historic pace, but there's a lot more, you know, of the, you know, win them in a burst and then not so much. I mean, Let's say let's go back in time to 2017 when Jason Day was just eviscerating everyone on the planet. I guess yes. that was probably 15 into 16 when he was the best player in the world. And you think he's a world beater? He's going to win six major championships. Like, look, it's really hard to win tournaments, keep that pace going. Like those who do end up as one of the 10 best or 15 best to ever play. So you know, careers like Tiger, Phil, and you know now DJ really that's that's the supreme exception. You know, it does, just doesn't happen that often. It's tough to do. But my only counter to your point about Berger, 54-hole co-leader at the U.S. Open at Shinnecock. So, I mean, yeah, I know that was a weird year. And yeah. that was that Saturday where, you know, Phil had his moment where he, you know, played hockey on the green. And, you know, mm -hmm. it was kind of a crazy scoring day. The Zach Johnson, they lost the course day. And, you know, but he was the 54-hole co-leader at Shinnecock. Big course. So, um, I think at his peak, he, he's got the capability to – he could, he could, like I said, he could get to double digits and wins, and I could see him, you know, winning a major championship. A PGA maybe might fit him, or or maybe an Open one day. But you know, uh, I don't know. We'll we'll see. Uh, we'll see where uh, where he lands on the spectrum there. Okay, if he wins a major or two, maybe I'll I'll elevate his 
his status to superstar status. I think right now, just just regular star, not superstar, is where I, I think we I think we appropriately did the skip Stephen A. half and half to a, like a, a a proper extent there. Where there's a little bit of a disagreement, but not hyperbole for the sake of shouting. Yeah, I, I think we can do without that. For don't make me be Bayless. God, I was his researcher. Jeez. <laughs> Oh, we did. Michael Collins and I did a podcast with Skip way back in the day. And he, I, I hate to say it because I wasn't a big fan of the show and I wasn't a big fan of his. And he was absolutely awesome on the podcast. And I was floored because I was, I was fully prepared to be like, this is going to be the worst thing ever. I can't believe we're getting him. And why are we doing this? But it's a big name. If he tweets it out, a lot of people re- listen to it. And, For sure. Yeah. And he was awesome. He couldn't have been better talking about golf. I swear. Wow. I didn't expect it. I never thought it would have happened. He's telling stories about Hogan and Nelson from his Dallas roots. And, and he was really, really good. And, and, and whatever tournament it had been, I think it was right when Ricky Fowler won the players championship and he was going back, uh, you know, it's only a few days later, but not just, Oh yeah, I know that Ricky won the players. I mean, he was going shot for shot down the back nine talking about everything that every player was going through. I mean, he knew exactly what was going on and he was He's really into it. So if I, I don't know. Just and I, I kid, I kid. I mean, the times I worked with him, he was totally professional to a 24 year old who didn't deserve his time of day. So, <laughs> you know, from, from a, a totem pole speaking standpoint in TV, but no, yeah. I, I, th- I think we went on both appropriately there, split it down yeah. the middle with, with the future for Daniel Berger. Great but, win. One of the, the number that I was, um, that I most was surprised by was how well he scrambled. He led the field in scrambling percentage. Made me think a lot about what Gary Woodland did at the U S open a couple of years ago, where he entered the, you know, scrambling short game, not Gary Woodland's calling card certainly wasn't that season going into Pebble beach. And he led the field in scrambling at Pebble beach and route to his U S open win. So it was, that was one number that kind of brought back that memory of what Woodland did a couple of years ago. I want to talk about Jordan Spieth real quick before we get into the field at Riv this week. First, Two commonalities that I thought were very interesting about the last three champions on the PGA Tour. One is tangible in the fact that Patrick Reed, Brooks Kepka, Daniel Berger were each coming off a missed cut the previous week. I mean, we're in the prognostication business, the prediction business. And the one thing you look at is, hey, let's see who's in form, who's sort of uh, gaining some momentum so they can start playing well and maybe contend this week. Uh, they were all coming off missed cuts. You know how hard that is? to figure that stuff out. And the other thing that I'll say is more of an intangible, but you look at three guys who play with absolute chips on their shoulder, whether they are realized or imagined. Patrick Reed is a guy. Okay. I I get the chip on his shoulder. You know, I, I totally understand it. And you know, whether he put it there himself or uh, the rest of the viewing public has uh, taken it like that boulder, they moved out of the way for tiger years ago in Phoenix and placed it upon his shoulder. There is one there. Brooks Kepka with a perceived chip on his shoulder because he thinks, I, I don't know that, you know, we uses it as fuel. Yeah. Uses I think it as that's fuel, fair to say. Yeah. We, he thinks that we don't think he's as good as he actually is or something like that. I don't know. And then Berger yesterday after he won, he was asked about being underrated. He goes, I'm underrated. He goes, good. I, I hope you guys keep calling me underrated. Uh, I get that chip on my shoulder and I'll keep firing back. So, I don't know. Maybe if Daniel Berger listens to this. I said he might have trouble winning a major and, you know, that gets more fired up to play better. I hope he's mad that I said he'd win 10 times and win one major. If you win <laughs> 10, you're Justin Berger, Berger, you're like, you know, what the hell do you know? I'm going to win 30 times and win five majors. So, you know, yeah, definitely. That's the way I do it. If that's what someone said to me. So yeah. at least that's the way I look at it. But yeah, no, Spieth, uh, first player to hold the 54 hole lead in back to back weeks 
and not win either tournament in eight years. Daniel Summerhays did it in 2013 at the John Deere and I believe the Sanderson Farms, which may have been opposite field that week with the Open Championship. So um, it's been a long time since that happened. Um, tough for Jordan, but his drive, his driving number is not great, but his iron play really good. Once again, he's at 75% of his greens and regulation over the last two weeks entering this stretch. The last two weeks, he was under 60% for the season. So I think that's one thing that people can take positively going forward for Jordan. There will, there are some people who will listen to that stat, Justin and go, Oh, last person to have that 54 all lead back to back. And then didn't win either. Um, Daniel summary is doesn't even play golf anymore. He's out of the game. So look, that's where Jordan's headed. I'm telling you, like Jordan, Jordan can't do it anymore. Uh, you know, he's going to be just like Summer Hayes. He's going to be out of the game in a few years. This guy's terrible. I, I can't. T- I mean, I, I spent the entire weekend basically playing whack a mole with Twitter trolls, and one of the one of the subjects, one of the bigger subjects, was the Jordan Spieth is never going to get it back. He can't win. He can't play on a Sunday with pressure on him. I'm like, guys relax. My tweet was, Hey, two weeks ago, if we had told you Jordan would have back-to-back top 25s, you'd be like, wow, that's really good. Wait, he's no, trending. It's positive. Fives. Yeah. Whoa. That's crazy. Went from nowhere to top fives. And now we're sitting here and we're supposed to say, Oh yeah, but he didn't win either one. So, you know, I think he's probably washed up. Uh, the question I I've gone over this kind of on the, my radio show, hitting the green on Sirius XM PGA tour radio earlier today. And I'll, you know, I'll bring this up with you. Jordan thinks he's an elite player. I, is that correct? I mean, is, that's, For sure. that's fair to say. Three majors. Youngest it, two-time major winner since Gene Sarazen. I'd say that's elite. The elite players, when do they want their games to peak? There's four weeks a year. Maybe five if it's a Ryder Cup year. And it wasn't this past weekend. So why would we look at what Jordan's done over the last two weeks where he hasn't finished up golf tournaments on a Sunday afternoon and say, well – he can't get it done now. So, uh, you know, this, that was his best chance. And he's not going to get it done. Can't we instead look at it, Justin, that he's building up his way towards those bigger events later in the year? Yeah. My point would be, you were talking about that Daniel Summerhays, the, the last guy to do that. It's really more, uh, it, you rarely have a guy lead after 54 holes back-to-back weeks. Like the guys who've done it recently, it's DJ in the playoffs uh, Justin Thomas in Hawaii when he went nuts a few years ago. Like mm-hmm. it, it doesn't happen. Brendan Todd, when he had that out of body experience in the fall swing <laughs> a couple of years ago, yeah. it doesn't happen very often. It, it's like, it was only like six or seven instances of it happening during that span since uh, 2013. And just all those other instances, someone won one of the two tournaments or in a few instances won both of them. So, I mean, look, it's really difficult to put yourself in that position every so often. Um, I think I, I always try on Saturday and I, I try to give perspective to what, you know, the question always, if a guy is a 54 elite and doesn't win, he's always hammered, right? He's always just blasted. Like this guy can't close. Like he's, you know, he's doesn't have it. He doesn't have the, you know, the intestinal fortitude to get it done down the stretch. He just can't do it. Players with a two shot lead on the PGA tour, the last 15 years, win 40% of the time, 40%, mm-hmm. less than half. Look, that's a two shot lead. That's a, that's, I mean, that's not tied. That's not one shot. That's you've got a legitimate two shot head start going into the final round. Those guys win 40% of the time. Everyone's perspective of how easy it is to close was completely altered by what Tiger Woods did because it was so ridiculously superhuman to go 44 for 46 with an outright 54 hole lead. No one is ever going to come remotely close to that again. And I still think we have that kind of perspective when a guy doesn't close 
that, you know, it's, it's some kind of problem. His no, it's really hard to win golf tournaments. He had a world-class player, Daniel Berger, Patrick can't lays on his tail. Nate Lashley is having the putting week of his life. You talk about trying to prognosticate golf. Now Nate Lashley was leading the, uh, the tournament in strokes game putting before I think it was 16 when he yeah. had the, the episode. I mean, and he entered the week like 170th in the statistics. So go figure. I mean, a guy had a hot putter and, and struck the ball brilliantly. He's got all that behind him. Like, it's it's really tough to win. It's tough to close. And, you know, I would more take the positives out of Jordan's iron stats moving forward than, you know, kind of be disappointed by the fact that, look, it's he's probably he, – he was bummed after the tournament that he didn't win, and it's easy to be disappointed in the moment. But take it as a positive if you're a Jordan Spieth fan moving forward. Uh, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Tiger has ruined everything for everybody, basically, is what <laughs> – we're getting at if, if you're a fan of the game, you're like, how come these guys don't close every single time? By the way, Justin, I've had a player and I don't think the stats would back this up, but I've had a player tell me before he would rather be trailing by two going into Sunday's final round than leading by two. Mathematically, that doesn't necessarily make sense, but right. I will say if, if it impacts his perspective going into the round, makes him a little less nervous, frees a guy up, Yep, you know, maybe a guy is, 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 you know, less likely to be aggressive when he's successful, when he's an aggressive player. Maybe there's some instances where that, that would be the case. It might, it might work out for that guy, but mathematically, no, you wouldn't want to do that. We see it all the time when guys have the lead and they tend to play a little more defensively because they're trying to protect the lead as opposed to let's play some offense. Uh, you know, it's just like halfway through the fourth quarter, team has the ball. Well, we haven't been running it all, well all game, but we're up. So let's try to run the ball and run out the clock. Well, yeah, that's not going to work. Why don't you just keep throwing the ball because they can't stop you throwing the ball and, and right. go win the game. So I, College I basketball team about to pull an upset. They're up 12 with four minutes to go, and they just hold the ball. That's when yeah. the other team makes a run. It's exactly. always like that. Yep, yep. So let's get into Riviera a little bit. Uh, what a fantastic field we've got for the last event on the West Coast Swing this week. Eight of the top 10, I believe 12 of the top 15, uh, most of the names everyone knows and loves, including DJ, Rory, Rom, JT, Xander at the top of the odds board this week. So let's start there. That top tier, I, I'm struggling already. I, I cannot go as <laughs> low as plus 550, 11 to 2 for DJ's. I don't care how great DJ has been. I saw your stats you tweeted out. I understand DJ is really, really good. At Riviera, I, I just can't bring myself to go plus 550 for DJ, but is it tr- should he be the clear favorite this week, first of all? And uh, who do you like out of that top tier if you had to pick one of these guys? The answer is unequivocally yes, he should be the favorite. Um, over the last 10 years, Dustin Johnson leads this tournament, drum roll in, scoring average, birdie average, strokes gain tee to green, strokes gain total, uh, bogey avoidance, which is a huge thing for me mm. this week, is limiting your mistakes. He's... Since the PGA Championship, he has four wins and four rounds over par to tell you about his form. So, yeah, I think unequivocally he should be the favorite. But I'm with you. Five plus 550 is just – that's not enough, man. I just can't do it against a field this strong. Yeah. I mean, considering he was four to one before he withdrew from Pebble last week, um, only increasing that a little bit uh, with this kind of field. That's tough. I, if you had to pick somebody from the top tier, if I said, hey, here's here's 20 bucks, but you can only take one of the top, oh, let's say six to eight guys on the board, everyone who's sort of inside 25 to one, 30 to one. Is DJ the guy that you take just to get a little ROI or is there somebody else lower on the list that you like? I'm going down a little bit. I'm going to take Patrick Cantlay. 
Um, yeah. If the golf tournament last week was only held on Pebble Beach, he probably would have won. He shot 73 at Spyglass in round two. He led the field in greens and regulation despite only hitting 11 greens that day at Spyglass. Finished second and third in his last two starts. Um, five straight top 20s going back to the fall. That includes winning at Sherwood last fall. Um, so he's got some California vibes there. Uh, he's second in bogey avoidance here since 2014. Only Dustin Johnson has been better. Um, you know, I, I think there's just, just getting a little bit more value there with Patrick Cantlay, a guy who's just been exceptional. I and mean, if the putter gets hot, I mean, he can win by three or four shots this week, I think. I, I tend to agree with you. If it's the old proverbial office pool and just, hey, pick a player then I might go DJ just based on, you know, if there's no odds or anything else that's involved, it's just, Hey, For pick sure. a guy you like. Um, and so, you know, yeah, DJ's obviously been good. I really like Cantlay and uh, I'm still a Xander Stan. I, I will, uh, I will go to battle with Xander Shoffley any given week. And I think that he's got talk about chips on guys' shoulders. He's got a little chip on his shoulder right now, trying to prove to everybody that he is not a choker by any means. And I, I really don't think that label suits him very well. I think he's a uh, pretty tough dude when it comes to playing down the stretch. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Xander sort of, sort of views this as maybe a little more important for him than it is for maybe some other players out there. The guy who's had a lot of success in huge events, right? Hasn't broke through with a win in a major, but you know, close in the U S open runner up at the masters runner up at the players, um, you know, tour championship, like a lot of events with really strong fields, tournament of champions. So he won't back down from that. Guys, you know, week in, week out, he's got a great chance to win anywhere because he's really good at everything. You look at his strokes gain numbers, he's well above average in basically every, you know, empirical category that they have. So um, a Xander stand, a stander. That's terrible. I will never say Zand- that again. Xander stand, stand Xander. Yeah, there's something in there. It's terrible. I'm sorry. Yeah, you should be. <laughs> All right, uh, let's move on. But you still have power, so that's great. Let's keep trucking. Uh, there are a lot of guys. I figure uh, this 30 to 1 to 50 to 60 to 1, that's my usual sweet spot. I usually like a lot of players in that range. I think there's some value, but obviously uh, guys who can really play and are, are really strong talents. Um, I'll name a, a bunch of them in this level, and you tell me kind of who you like, who you don't like. I didn't write up Colin Morikawa 33 to one in my preview this week, but I could certainly see Morikawa playing really well on, on a second shot golf course. Victor Hovland, he's my pick to win this week as far as, you know, a, a favorite outright. I don't feel very confident in that. He didn't make the round of 64 uh, the only other time he played here at the 2017 U.S. Amateur, but the numbers are all trending in the right direction. Four top six finishes in his last five worldwide starts. Uh, I like Hideki, although the numbers have not been good lately, so I don't love him. I like Scotty Scheffler, but speaking of numbers, his ball striking has not been good this season. I don't know why. His strokes gained approach, uh, I was pretty shocked when I saw he was 182nd this season, which is mm. uh, way worse than I would have thought he was. Joaquin Neiman, I like a lot. We tend to you know, just sort of forgetting about guys if we don't see them for a little bit, out of sight, out of mind. He was second, second in Hawaii and hasn't played since then. So, I think he's going to be a good one. And a couple of guys that uh, that we've seen play well here, Max Homa, who's basically playing well every week on the West Coast. Then Mark Leishman's got a couple of top fives in the past five years of this one. Uh, any of those names or anybody else strike you as guys that you like? You like Victor Hovland, so do I. Tied for All second right. at Torrey Pines on a, on a tough course. Tied for sixth in Saudi Arabia in his last start. 
He's hitting about 75% of his greens in regulation this season, top 10 on the PGA Tour. Uh, my only concern around Riviera is the thing he professes that he's he's been on camera saying he sucks at, which is his yeah. short game. Um, scrambling a little bit more important than normal when it comes to winners uh, week to week, comparing it to the PGA Tour average here at Riviera. So a little bit of a, a concern there, but I think his ball striking is so good it carries him everywhere. I mean, he's a guy sneakily into the top 15 in the world, kind of like all of a sudden, you know, a guy who's going to be on the short list to be, you know, next to break through and win that next, the first major championship. I mean, right behind guys like Rom and Xander and, and maybe he might jump ahead of Finau by the time we get to the masters. You never know. So I like Hovland a lot. I think there's, I think there's some good value there and I don't know. Breakthrough, my, my bet on him would be a top 10, not to win necessarily, but, you know, he's really interesting to me this week. I want to ask you, and I'm putting you on the spot here. I don't know if you've done the research on this yet, but is there anything about inexperience that should keep us and hold us back from a guy like Hovland this week who hasn't played in the Genesis before? Is there something to having played this one three, four, five, six times in the past and at least kind of knowing the golf course a little bit. Like I said, he's been there in competition, but it was 2017 U.S. Amateur shot, I believe, 72-78 and did not advance to the round of 64. Yeah, totally different, too. I think, you know, a few years removed, a guy who's had some experience in some big events um, since then, and it's probably a, a different caliber of player now, obviously, um, as he gets into his pro career. You know, I, we've had some, some experience pay off there in recent years. J.B. Holmes beat Justin Thomas coming down the stretch a few years ago. Adam Scott, the defending champion last year, Dustin Johnson winning and getting to world number one a couple of years ago. Um, maybe there's something to be said for, you know, for experience paying around Riviera. Um, you know, uh, we haven't had too many really young winners there recently. And like you said, I don't have all the numbers right in front of me, but um, yeah, no, I think there is something to be said for that. For Yeah, there, there could, uh, could be some more value there for guys who got a few more rounds under their belt playing at Riviera. All right. Uh, anyone else from that range before we get to those lower tier guys? Who? uh Pulling it up now, um, you know, Brooks Kepka is really interesting. I got him at plus 2,500. His iron play was outstanding in Phoenix. You wonder yeah. um, if he, you know, he always, he always just brings it so much more in these bigger events. And this is basically a major championship caliber field. You, know, you noted how many uh, elite players we've got, 12 of the top 15 or, or something along those lines. Um, he's a guy who you, you might be interested in this week. Another guy at plus 4,000, Adam Scott. Led the field in greens and regulation last year uh, at Riviera. He's got a pretty good history before that. Um, I think that's a pretty good number for Adam Scott. He's right there around the lines of uh, what Jordan Spieth at plus 4,000, Hideki Matsuyama plus 4,500. So, um, you know, Adam Scott, not a lot of ton of success recently um, since this win at Riviera, but, you know, uh, the defending champion who's uh, an excellent ball striker on a course that really demands it. Anything about the Masters, the Augusta National correlation to Riviera? I, I made mention in my preview piece this week that five of the last seven winners at Riviera have been Masters champions. That is skewed a little bit because, of course, Bubba Watson has been three of those winners. And so, um, of course, he's won the Masters twice. But then you have uh, Scott, who you mentioned, and DJ, of course. Is, is there anything to – hey, guys that play well at Augusta should or can play well at Riviera as well? Just pulling up the list of winners, and it's a great question because it's not just – there's got to be something about lefties there, right? At the, at the Masters, I mean, Phil, yeah, both. Bubba, Mike Weir. Mike Weir's won twice at Riviera. Um, you know, Phil's had success at Riviera. He's won here. Um, I mean, it's Bubba Watson, obviously, three wins here. 
there's got to be something about the shot shape, right? I mean, there's just something that, that just fits, you know, when you tie those two venues together. But amazingly, Riviera, Tiger has never won. I don't think Jack's ever won at Riviera either. No. So it's, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty incredible, um, you know, correlation there between some of the similarities and maybe the demands of the game uh, between Riviera and Augusta National. Load up Brian Harmon? Maybe? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what we is can do that playing? <laughs> I, Akshay, I was going to actually look to see if Akshay was playing. I don't think he is. No, uh, probably not. I was, I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day who's uh, trying to make it and going to a, one of the Q schools for one of the PGA Tour levels. And he said, you know, we're watching, we're sitting at the uh, bar at West Orange last week and he's looking up at the TV, sees Akshay, who's in second place at that point. He goes, dude. I'm supposed to play against him in a qualifier in like two weeks. Like, yeah, good luck Uh-oh. with that, bro. <laughs> You're playing against good me luck. today. You're playing against Akshay in two weeks. I, I, I ain't going to prepare you for him. So, uh, yeah, that kid can uh, that kid can play a little bit. Let's get to this lower tier. And I, I always struggle, Justin, with what we consider a sleeper or a dark horse. I, I'm going to, based on the field this week, call it 80 to 1 and higher. And I've got – a lot of guys that I like in this range. I'm going to start it. I'm just going to go down the list and mention a few names and, uh, and, and see who you like. But Carlos Ortiz at 90 to 1, very, very interesting to me. Matthew Fitzpatrick at 100 to 1, very interesting to me. I know a lot of people like Cameron Tringali. I'm not uh, as interested in him this week. Uh, go down the list. Lonto Griffin has played very well on tough West Coast golf courses. The Zozo. He was uh, in that final group. Uh, Tory a few weeks ago played really well. So he's a guy that I like. Keegan Bradley, I, I just, I'm getting sucked in. The ball striking numbers are fantastic. I know that he, he hits it like Ben Hogan and putts like Hulk Hogan. But if he can ever get that putter going in the right direction, he, he putted dead even in Phoenix a few weeks ago as far as strokes gained and finished 22nd. If he could just like gain a stroke every day. He, he said he that's his target, right? Between yeah. like even and a, and a stroke per yeah. round. Yeah, for sure. He can do it. And, the one and how many guy... times, how many, when you think of Keegan Bradley, one of the moments you always think of beyond the Ryder Cup PGA Championship is that duel with Phil Mickelson at Riviera. Yes. Yeah. So and Bill that, Haas that, was in there too, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. But, you know, the two dramatic putts those guys made back to back, it was a great yeah. moment. I think it was almost yeah. 10 years ago now. I can't believe it. I root for Keegan. I know Keegan really well. And uh, Keegan sometimes gets a bad rap in like the, the betting and, and DFS communities. Freaking Keegan just totally boned me on the weekend. I'm getting better at every aspect of my game. My game. I go out and hit it this way, that it's it's just not going to come off strong. I hate fucking Keegan Bradley. But Keegan's a, a great guy, and I, I still think he's a tremendous player who uh, is going to get back to that level at some point. The two other names I was going to throw out in that lower tier, uh, the two U.S. amateur finalists from four years ago, uh, Doug Gim, who finished in second place, uh, who's playing really well right now. And then a guy, I, I got to jump back on the train. I, I, I've been driving this bandwagon for a long time. Uh, Doc Redman, who I've gotten off of just a little bit, but I'm a huge Doc Redman guy. Doc Redman. Two seventy-five to one this week. I, I don't think he's going to win, but that's a huge number. Yeah, he could get maybe a little bit of value there for him to top ten at a place where he's had obviously biggest win of his life so far. So, um, yeah, for sure. I'm I'm with you on Carlos Ortiz. My favorite number on Ortiz. 
He leads all players in strokes game putting per round at Riviera the last five years. So in addition to his good form, you've got that going for him. Likes the greens at Riviera. Um, One earlier this season, breaking through in Houston. Um, You know, I think you, I'm I'm with you there on Ortiz. I got a real long shot. Now this is a guy who has been terrible at Riviera over the last five, six years. Last five years, he's got the highest bogey average of anyone at Riviera among those who play regularly. That's not a good sell. Recent major champion. Last year was a total wash because he moved to South Southern California. Two top tens in his last three starts. And oh no, folks. I believe it's happened. We said it at the beginning of the podcast. We thought we might lose Justin Ray because of that those cold, wintry conditions in Austin, Texas. I think we lost Justin Ray. I see him still on my screen. I see him there but he is frozen, maybe literally. I don't want to joke about it, but I I won't leave you in suspense. I I at least know where he was going with that play. A guy who, uh, a recent major champion who was sort of a wash in 2020 and and has been enjoying a little bit of a resurgence right now. And he just joined Riviera, uh, in fact, uh, moving to Southern California. That's Francesco Molinari. Yeah, I think he can play pretty well this week. So uh, yeah, Justin's texting me now. Power went out. No idea if you'll get this text. We died. Molinari. (laughs) That's what the text messages from Justin Ray say. So uh, I'm going to leave you with this because I am not going to do a DFS lineup without my uh, co-conspirator here. You can listen to us and watch us on The Gimme on Wednesday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. Justin and I, along with Amanda Rose, will make a DFS lineup on there, and it'll be uh, even better than the one we're going to do here on the pod today but yeah i think we got through most of the guys that we like this week at riviera should be a fantastic week i can't wait for it uh good luck and stay safe to all the people out there in those wintry cold conditions i feel for you guys i've been there um and you know it's i know it's no fun so really stay safe and uh uh if if golf at least takes your mind off things a little bit this week then hopefully we can uh we can help you out with that so good luck with everything this week and all of your plays here's hoping you guys hit the green we're finished talking <laughs>